It's Across the Blue Ridge. I'm Paul Brown. A new independent film with Southern Roots titled Abundant Acreage Available has opened in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and has its New York debut within a week or so. Filmmaker Angus McLaughlin lays out a story of a grown brother and sister grappling with the death of their father on a desolate tobacco farm in the town of East Bend, North Carolina, just east of the Blue Ridge Mountains. When they find three elderly men camping out in a field on the farm, The sister and brother, Tracy and Jesse, played by Amy Ryan and Terry Kinney, discover that the three brothers had lived on the farm as children. They also learn of possible ethical questions surrounding the sale of the farm and their dad's purchase of it. The eldest of the brothers, played by Max Gale, wants to buy the place back and to be buried there. Here is Hans, played by Max Gale, with Tracy in the field where he wants his father's remains to be laid to rest and his. He knows he's dying of cancer. Talking about about coming back in a few weeks, you know, to finalize things. Maybe maybe bury my papa too, but 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 now Wait, are you taking it? Are you? Are you? Will you agree to my request, Miss Tracy? Are you taking my home? I just want to be put back where I came from. What are you going to do, Hans? It's all temporary. How many bones have been put in this ground, do you think, that we don't know about? Civil War, you know, slaves. Before that, Indians all mixed in. I wonder... I wonder sometimes if it's cursed, you know, because we didn't keep it sacred. Farming it. Tobacco, what that's meant. You know, Hans, if you're dying, I guess you can't take my farm, can you? I'll put you out here. What do you think of that? It's so hard to let go. It's so hard to let go for everybody. From here, the story deepens in its exploration of family, morality, reckoning with the path of one's life and one's place in the world, and how to let go of it all as we approach the end of life. Writer and director Angus McLaughlin tells us about the germination of the story and its evolution. The initial spark of the film came about because I saw a photograph in the New York Times of three Polish brothers, older men, returning to Poland. And I think their story was that they had been displaced during the Second World War and hadn't come back. But the photograph is what got me. And it was these three older men walking across this field. And it was land and the idea of siblings and older siblings. And something about that sparked me. And so when I 
started to develop it and then develop the other family, the brother and sister who live on the farm, um, I knew East Bend, not well, but I knew it. And I would actually drive out there when I was coming, you know, dreaming up the story and look at the land and imagine the characters actually living there. And there's some, it's a beautiful area. That, that, that area is very beautiful to me. And uh, it's, it, Could I say that it's beautiful, but it's also kind of desolate yeah. all through that part of Piedmont, North Carolina. This mm-hmm. is west and north of Winston-Salem. But it has a beauty, but it also has a real sense of loneliness to it and lonesomeness. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things we wanted to capture, the, the film is set in February. And people are like, why did you shoot it then? And, and it was very difficult because most of the movie is set outside. <laughs> But there is this kind of stark beauty in it, a lot like uh, Andrew Wyeth's paintings. And that's something I wanted to capture. And that kind of, as you speak of, uh, you know, melancholy, sadness, I, I hope it's not depressing, but there's something very moving to me about that area, that time of the year, uh, the time when you're in life where you're looking at loss and death and your parents' law, uh, death and your own mortality. That's what was moving to me and what I wanted to try to portray. Angus McLaughlin, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, writer and director of the film Abundant Acreage Available. There's not a tremendous amount of music in the film, but what there is punctuates and supports the storyline, often in tandem with the sounds of the outdoors. Sometimes there's even a hint of traditional music. As in this mandolin echo. And the Stephen Foster song, Beautiful Dreamer, a 19th century prototype for much of popular and country music in America, suffuses much of the musical score by Jeffrey Dean Foster. Beautiful dreamer, wake unto me. Starlight and dewdrops are waiting for thee. Sounds of the rude world heard in the day Lulled by the moonlight have all passed away Jeffrey Dean Foster, Beth McKee, and Juan Perez performing Beautiful Dreamer there in the film. Queen of my song List while I I asked Jeffrey Dean Foster, like director Angus McLaughlin, a Winston-Salem native, about the challenges of scoring a film that deliberately contains only small amounts of music. And I wanted to know how he thought about the music traditions of the region as he composed for this film. A lot of that is to Angus's credit for... uh, you know, not not feeling like he had to fill up the space, you know, and letting the silence, letting the movie breathe, and and the land, you know, the land does have a sound of its own. There's a lot of, you know, sound design in the movie that you don't, you know, we don't think about that because we think all the sound is just ambient sound. But there's 
the you know the wind and the just the the ground underneath their feet was almost as much music as some of the stuff that I did. And um, going into the movie, you know, some of our mantra kind of before we went in was that as much as I like music like you spoke of from around here, because I grew up loving all this music, whether it's country music. I mean, the first records that I just totally absorbed were Hank Williams and Johnny Cash records. But then it was quickly on to other skinny guys like David Bowie. And so, <laughs> so Hank Williams and David Bowie are kind of, they're, to me, they're kind of just two big pillars um so as much as but as much as i like folky music mountain music we kind of wanted to do almost anything but tobacco farm music you know so that's why I, my first thought was to go pretty far afield now, why, almost, why did you want to make that leap maybe to not uh to not go straight down the path of just having uh you know something that seemed so closely linked with the visuals or the story just maybe to to pull the try to pull the emotion some other direction. Well, Sounds like maybe you were trying to avoid cliches also. Yeah, I mean, I always do that, you know, in my music, except the cliches that I like, <laughs> <laughs> which, and there are lots of them, you know, yeah. in rock and roll, there's well, like... Well, in every style there are. Yeah, and there's like touchstones that, that mm-hmm. are cliches, but they're, they're cliches because we enjoy them. Yeah, you know? because they have some sort of classic greatness yeah, to I them. Yeah, I mean, Robert, I think Robert Criscow you know, defined rock and roll as repetition without tedium. Mm-hmm. And so it is, you know... It's actually uh, a good definition. I kind of like that. And the same can be said for, you know, old-time mountain that, square dance exactly. music and that sort of thing. Exactly. Where the parts it's, repeat over over and over again, it's really circular music and it's that grounds you. And it lands yeah. where you want it to land, like gospel music, like good good hymns. That's why they're easy to sing in church. It's because they go where you want them to go. Four Quartet performing on WPAQ Radio, Mount Airy, North Carolina, in the 1940s. Once again, Jeffrey Dean Foster. When I first started, I was thinking there may not be any acoustic natural instruments at all. I might make want it to be almost all electronic or something more ambient. But I visited the set one day, and uh, which is an old farmhouse. For those of you who haven't seen the film, set in the midst of a chopped down cornfield, it looks like. Yeah, I visited the set and, you know, got to hang out with Angus and the guys and ladies for a day. And and after that, I did move back a little more toward the roots because the, gra- the ground and the dirt and the wood was so much, a, seemed like a, so much a part of the movie that then I felt like I, I did want a little more of that, uh, or, you know, 
organic kind of music with real instruments and so uh so it's kind of a hybrid there's still songs in there that, that definitely aren't at all like traditional you know mountain music or country music there are guitars and banjos and pianos and how did the two of you decide where this music should go or did Angus play a role in this or was this mostly up to you how did you all work on this uh we talked about it for a year or so and then a lot in the last month or two while we were working on it um and I made more music than we than we used but that's uh that's always kind of the process with me making records or songs is just like making things and then whittling away everything that doesn't belong. And Angus was a good whittler. <laughs> How important Angus McLaughlin is music to you? Uh, it's really in important. Film. It's really important in film. And I heard just recently, although it's one of the things that I feel like I'm really still learning. Like my last film, all the music was Haydn piano concertos, which was kind of controversial to some of the investors. <laughs> uh, but there was something about it that seemed right to me. It's a more of an intuitive thing. And in this one, uh, like Jeff said, there was a lot. He he had a lot more music, and we tried moving it in and out and in and out. And um, and then I would ask people. Phil Morrison, who directed Junebug, that we both were involved in. Um, Jeff and I. Jeff was in it, and I I wrote it. Um, and I respect him quite a bit, and he, he grew up here in Winston as well, and I would show him some of the things, and he would say, you know, really um, try to make the choices of the music uh, happen when they most need to be happening. And there was a, a just recently I heard some director talking about how music and film should be a summation of emotion, and a lot of times it's put in a film to try to make the emotion that may not be there in the acting or the story. To tell you how to feel, in other words, exactly. which, you know, really I find kind of annoying when I can sense that that's happening. I do think we did not do that, which is good. I think all of it does reflect the what's what, what's happened instead of telegraphing what's supposed to happen. Yeah, there's one specific moment, and I won't tell because it's one of the climaxes, but one of the characters sort of has their heart broken, and we had this little piece of music that I called the heartbreaking music, and it was a little bit louder, and it actually used part of the theme of the brothers, as you mentioned, they sing a beautiful dreamer. Um, because they just have that habit in their family of getting together and singing. And so Jeff wrote this sort of variation uh, on a piano uh, of that um, that motif. And I used it, and it was longer, and it didn't seem quite right. And then I thought, well, what if I check out like the middle part of what he wrote? So now it's very bare. It's just barely there. But to me, it really is her heart breaking and the piano the tiny little notes that Jeff played himself to me evoke that in a way that adds to the wonderful performance that Amy Ryan gives Angus McLaughlin, Jeffrey Dean Foster. The film is 
abundant acreage available. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. It's Across the Blue Ridge. I'm Paul Brown. Be sure to be with us next time for more music, stories, insights, connections surrounding traditional music of the Mountain South and beyond. Keep on the sunny side. It'll help us all on our way. We'll catch up with you later. Busy throne